So the details of this are unimportant. Um, but I had this issue in my life that I've been praying for for years and years and years. Uh, and it has seen um, little to no real resolution. Uh, in fact, over the years, I've prayed more about it. Uh, and I have, I think, seen really not good resolution throughout um, the years. And, and I feel like it's even getting worse. Um, the details are unimportant, but this gnawing frustration, this sort of thorn in my flesh, um, doesn't get better and it just seems to get worse. <laughs> so for a long time with this particular thing, this particular issue in my life, I have easily felt pretty defeated, quite frankly, uh, and I have at times felt like, uh, like many of us do when it comes to our prayers, like I'm sitting there praying and I'm going, hello? all-knowing and all-powerful God of the universe who created me and loves me and controls all time and space, I'm over here. Like, <laughs> like, all it would take is this and the problem's fixed. And I feel like as I'm sitting in these moments feeling defeated, the, the, the prayers I feel aren't going anywhere other than the ceiling. Uh, I feel like saying, do you mind fixing this for me, all-powerful God of the universe, because it's making me crazy, and I have exactly zero effective solutions, because I've tried them all. <laughs> I've tried them all. And it doesn't seem to be getting better, but worse. Which is a feeling of, Lord, why are you not answering my prayers as I need Which, friends, if you think about it, is a sentiment that expresses, expresses where many of us actually function in our prayer lives. That's where many of us function in our prayer lives. And, and I've been as guilty as anyone. I feel like saying, Lord, why aren't you answering my prayers as I need? <laughs> as I need! Which is a question that reveals what is true of many of us. We have learned functionally to pray in a way that is mostly about asking God to bless and to sanctify our personal agenda in life. Most of us have learned to function in a place that is mostly about asking God to bless and to sanctify our personal agenda in life. It's like we approach God with sort of a meeting agenda, like this is a business meeting. Okay, Lord, thanks for being here. Uh, I've got a number of things to get to today. A lot of items that we're going to need to discuss here. Big list today. Uh, and, and as you can tell, it's a nice, long, lovely list. I have decorated it with floral sort of, you know, uh, pictures on it. Decorative elements I've added for a note of Holy Spirit whimsy. I don't know. I'm uh, pretty sure you're also going to make sure you don't skip number three because we all know she needs that help in that situation. Um, and yes, yes, there is a backside to this because it's so long and there are so many elements that you're going to have to get to, which is an expression of us functioning in, Lord, I love you, I love what you've done, but listen, my will be done. This is, this is what functionally directs how we approach God often. Lord, my will be done. This is why we struggle with prayer sometimes. 
This is why we struggle with the power of God not being made known in us as he would like. This is why we struggle with prayer, because we are mostly functioning in a way that is about asking God to bless and to sanctify our personal agenda in life. Jesus didn't come to merely bless and to sanctify our personal agenda in life. He came to radically reshape us and turn us into different people who pray, not my will, but your will. And so we struggle with prayer and personal change in our lives because we sound a lot more like the hypocrites that Jesus has just pointed to as examples of how not to pray. Look at Matthew 6, verses 5 and 7 with me, if you would, please. We'll put these on screen. These are immediately preceding our, uh, our passage here today. We often sound a lot more like these hypocrites that Jesus has just pointed to as examples of how not to pray. He says this, And when you pray, he's talking to the disciples, uh, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the fakes, in this case, religious fakes, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues. The synagogues are the Jewish places of prayer. And at the street corners, in other words, where people are doing commerce on the main streets where everybody can see it, that day for the purpose of being seen by others. Jesus is saying their purpose is selfish and it, it's about looking spiritual. It's about looking godly in front of other people. We are not much different from them when we come to God and we say, this is what's supposed to be your will for me. Not much different as we think. Look at 6-7. When you pray, speaking to the disciples, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Friends, if we're being honest about our own hearts, we have to admit that much of our prayer life, certainly not all, but much of our prayer life centers around our goals for us. Much too much of our prayer lives center around our goals for us. But notice that Jesus teaches here exactly the opposite. He says a true follower of Christ prays, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because if this is God's world and I am his servant, then I should be thinking, how can I, play, how can I pray in ways that reflect the reality that he is king and I am subject to him? How can I pray in ways that help me to conform to his will? Those are powerful life-changing prayers. You see, friends, God didn't send Jesus to, to just to, to bless and to sanctify our life plan. He sent Jesus to entirely reshape us into people who are alive and not dead. People who are about God's purposes for us and not our purposes for us. A prayer, friends, is not a way to get our way. It's a way to continue to have our souls and lives shaped into conforming after God's will for us. It can be, prayer can be, a soul-shaping habit that is about God's kingdom purposes being made known through us. So let's look at what Jesus teaches here. Verse 9. We're going to go just a little phrase at a time. He says, pray then like this. You, disciples... 
pray then like this instead. It most literally says, like this, therefore, you pray with an emphatic you that is in the plural, English teachers, as in sort of like this is Southern Jesus, as in like all y'all. That's what Jesus is saying. All y'all. All y'all pray then like this, true disciples. And then he uses two words. We're going to make a point for each one. Our Father. Our Father. Notice that Jesus begins here with our to emphasize the community of followers around us and to remind us at the very outset of the prayer, to remind us at the very outset of the prayer that real and powerful prayer requires a posture of humility that recognizes that I am not the center of the universe. Now that sounds simple, but it's really quite profound. The more we can recognize this truth, the more we will become genuinely who God made us to be. And the more He will satisfy our needs in ways that go way beyond our understanding of them. Now to say, to say that I am not the center of the universe and to acknowledge that at the beginning in humility is not to say uh, that God doesn't care about you as an individual. He absolutely does. He made you. We'll get to that in just a second with the second word. But, it's, but this idea of our is part of the reorientation from self to selfless, from my will to thy will, at the very beginning of the prayer. Because, friends, the kingdom is way bigger and about way more than just me. There are others in it. And it's the Father's will that they become a part of that kingdom. And so I want to reflect that Father's will that it's an our and not a me. So, for example, if I'm, if I'm leading us in worship and, I, and I'm praying uh, for us, And I just keep saying things like, Lord, I just really need you to help me. And I want you to show yourself to me. And Lord, I love you, not just for what you've done for me, but for who you are, Lord. You would think, what is wrong with this guy? Doesn't he know that there are others of us in the room? And that he's praying on behalf of all of us? It would, be, it would be like praying and acting as if nobody else mattered. But, but if I said, Lord, we really need you to help us. We want you to show yourself to us, Lord. And we love you, not just for what you've done for us, Lord, but for who you are. That kind of a prayer is a prayer that acknowledges that we're a part of a community and, 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 and begs and asks for you to come along in that prayer and to participate in it in a way that reflects that we are a part of a community. Real prayer that is powerful prayer requires a posture of humility that recognizes at the outset, I am not the center of the universe and I shouldn't primarily think of God in terms that are merely about taking care of me. It's about taking care of all of us. That's the first word. Our second is Father. Powerful kingdom prayer, real prayer, powerful prayer that releases the power of God in us to change us is prayer that acknowledges that God is our true Father. God is our true Father. This is a powerful idea that we just sort of easily gloss over and that we don't really reckon with as deeply as we need. We think, we think, well, we call God Father 
because it's the best way that we can use to describe him that we understand because we all understand earthly fathers uh, and it's hard to understand perfect, holy, infinite God of the universe as our father. But actually that's backwards. We don't call God father because we have earthly fathers. We call earthly fathers father because we have a heavenly father, which is to say that he is the true father. You were his idea before your parents ever got together. And, and for him to be the real true father of us all is to acknowledge, I am made in the image of a perfect, infinite, holy God of the universe. And that relationship with him is why I exist. You were his idea. Now, why does this matter here in the context of prayer? <laughs> because to acknowledge God as our true father is to acknowledge that we are ultimately dependent upon God as provider and protector. Real prayer, true prayer, powerful prayer acknowledges that kind of dependency upon God. It's grounded in a relationship with God as Father. So to summarize to this point, uh, because we need to move a little faster, here's where we are. Number one, Approach God as a community, acknowledging humility, and two, as our true Father. So let's keep trucking. Verse 9. Our Father in heaven, meaning He lives and dwells in unapproachable light. He lives in limitless splendor and glory. And here's the first of three requests that are Godward prayers. First is this, hallowed be your name. Now, now hallowed is a fancy old-timey word um, that just means holy or sacred. This is like saying, Lord, may your name be held high as holy and valuable and, 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 and sacred which in the ancient world uh, meant a little something more than it does nowadays. To, to name something or someone was to speak that person's uh, most essential character out loud. So to name was to verbalize what was at the core of the person's being. So we're saying, Lord, at the core of your being, you are holy and perfect and infinitely beyond our best thoughts of you. May your name be held high and holy. And when we say that, when we mean it, when our hearts resonate with, Lord, you are holy, we are reframing, we are reshaping our hearts and minds around the truth of God's holiness. And we are saying, because you are holy, you deserve glory and honor and praise. Your perfections alone deserve worship. May your name be made much of in my life and in the world. That's a God word. That's a God-centered prayer. And that's the first of the three. The second and third are in verse 10. And these are the most important parts of the prayer for us today in terms of the kingdom theme. Um, it says, your kingdom come. That's the second Godward request. Your will be done. That's the third Godward request. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's a common thought that verse 10 
is primarily about asking that God would come in power to fix the fallen world, to end evil and suffering on earth. And that sentiment, that is definitely there. But at least to that extent, and maybe more, verse 10 is about asking God to make real His will in the here and in the now, not just in the someday. This is, this is by the way, not just... Asking that something become true as if it isn't, as if we're saying, Lord, come be king. It's saying, Lord, you're king. Continue to make that kingship and that kingdom more real and more fully implemented in us. This is, this is a bit of a dangerous prayer. This is a great prayer, but a dangerous prayer because for it to come true, it requires that we more fully submit to the sovereignty of his lordship. And his authority in our lives. So be careful with this prayer. To pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, is to say, this reality about who you are and what you're doing in the world, I want that to be made known in and through me now. That's how change happens in people. If you don't get there, it's not going to happen. Because when you start to pray, your will be done, Lord, you begin to realize how truly dependent upon God we are as our provider, as our protector, as our ruler. We begin to live like He is our true Father. And the next few verses uh, sort of reflect that dependency on God as provider. Uh, we're moving here from sort of the God word prayers to uh, the prayers about us. Verses 11 to 13 our ongoing practical and spiritual needs. So he's saying we should pray like this, verse 11, give us this day, meaning give, a, give us today, our daily bread. Now I'll press pause here for a bit. For the Jews, um, bread meant typical ongoing daily needs. Not just food, especially food, but food, clothes, shelter, all the, all the basic stuff. Uh, to say God provides bread means He provides what I need uh, to live in physical terms. So when we pray this, it easily sounds like a, a sort of a gimme, gimme request, but it's actually a further acknowledgement of our need to rely on God for the day-to-day necessities. And now the phrase that Jesus uses here, recalls a time when the Old Testament people of God were in the wilderness, they had no food, uh, they were homeless, they were not in their, their, uh, their homeland, and they were fearful for their future. So God sends down what they called manna, which means, what do we call it? Um, so they called it manna, which means, what do you call it? Whatchamacallit? Um, so this manna comes from day to day. Uh, and the rule was, you can eat this for today, don't store it up for tomorrow. And when some of them began to store it up for tomorrow, out of fear for tomorrow, it began to decompose, it would get nasty and stinky, they couldn't eat it, people got sick. The point was that the people were being taught to depend on God, even in that wilderness, during a time when they were homeless, hungry, fearful for the future. Now, Jesus is not saying, by the way, Throw out everything in your pantry except what you need for just today. He's not saying that. Uh, he's not saying, you know, don't shop at Sam's and buy in bulk. He's not saying you have to go to the grocery store like the Europeans every day. He's saying God will provide for your day-to-day needs. This is an acknowledgement 
of a total dependence upon God. This is a prayer for our needs and not our greeds, which is where a lot of us live in our prayer lives. And in our modern world of unprecedented luxury and ability to manage for ourselves our day-to-day needs, in our modern world of the idol of self-sufficiency, this simple prayer of asking for daily bread is a prayer we would re, that we would do well to pray each day as a reset of our hearts and minds because, according to Jesus, it's a misunderstanding of reality to believe we provide for our needs ourselves. So we must pray this prayer. Now we turn from physical needs to spiritual needs. And uh, according to Jesus, the first and perhaps most important one is forgiveness from sin. Verse 12, forgive us our debts. Uh, Debts here is a commercial term for something that was owed, especially money. But here's a surprising turn. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And here's the surprising thing. Notice that it isn't the debt that is forgiven or canceled by us. We can't do that. Only Jesus can. It's the debtor that can be forgiven by us. The concern for us, the concern for us isn't to get back what was lost. The concern is to restore the relationship with the person who is the debtor. This is so cool. What this means is Jesus wants us to pray for forgiveness from God personally so that we continue to understand why we need it so that we will extend that forgiveness to others. He wants us to do what He's done for us, to forgive our debtors, to restore relationship, and and, and to stop counting on or worrying about getting back that thing or that amount that was lost, whether that's relationally or otherwise. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like from day to day to treat people around us as we've been treated by God. Instead, we find all these ways to manipulate in relationships, to get back what was lost. It's funny, if you've ever done that, you realize you don't ever really get it back. It's wasted energy. What is best is to restore relationship with people. And there's great joy in forgiving debtors. And letting the one who can cancel debts, cancel debts. Not only do we need forgiveness, we must also be concerned proactively for ourselves to keep away from evil, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us from evil, uh, or the evil one in some versions. Um, means the same thing. Just real quickly here, verse 13. It's not implying that God leads us into temptation, but it's like saying, Lord, keep us from it. Don't let us succumb to temptation. Now, I read through Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and one of the first responses, I've heard this, we call it the Lord's Prayer. I've heard this for years in my life. And I realized this isn't so much the Lord's Prayer, this is the disciples' prayer. This is for me to pray. And what I realize about this, one of the first thoughts and responses I had to this prayer is that 
This prayer is sh- short. It misses things. Because, wait, wait, wait. Jesus didn't pray for this. He didn't pray for that. He missed um, the sick, the hungry, the poor, the powerless, the widows, the orphans. It, it just seems too short, like it isn't enough, like it's just good advice on how to pray. And it seems like it leaves out a lot that I know that I need and I know that a lot of people around me need. But, but, but think about this. Think about this. Jesus lived his life this way. In perfect conformity to the Father's will. And through simple prayers like your will be done. He lived a life that led to the cross that gave us salvation. And He is calling us to do the same. To live in conformity with the Father's will. Prayer like that, simple prayer like that, is how God's power shows up in your life so that He can extend His Lordship into us and through us. What God wants is soft hearts ready to hear what God wants for you. He doesn't so much want or need our agenda. He knows those things. What He primarily needs and the place to start in prayer is a heart that is soft and that is ready to pray, Lord, You are King. All my life is yours. Do as you will. Just simple prayer. Lord, you are king. All of my life is yours. Do as you will. That kind of prayer is the key that unlocks the ongoing power of God to transform us into his image and along the way to give us the truest desires of our hearts. We don't even know how to get to without. Now friends, here's, here's some challenge today. What would it look like if we were a community of people who stopped praying so much for full pantries and self-protective securities? who stopped praying so much for for comfort and for ease? What what would it look like if we were a community that stopped praying for challenges to go away? We need to expand our our vision to be a kingdom-wide vision. Start praying dangerous prayers that matter, like start praying for boldness, to do the Father's will. Start praying for a gospel mission for your life. Start praying for the integrity to face the challenges of day to day because, friends, the challenges aren't going away. Start praying simple prayers. Lord, your will, not mine. That that kind of prayer works. I mean, think about it. Later on in Matthew... As Jesus faced a challenge where he experienced unimaginable pressures to slide by and to compromise and to do anything other than go the hard road to a cross on which he would die. As he faced a challenge with unimaginable pressures and temptations, 
to go the easy route and to compromise. He prayed a simple prayer. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If, if this simple prayer, <laughs> if this simple prayer can keep the Savior of the world focused on His task of extending the Father's kingdom, it can do the same for you. Father, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That kind of simple prayer is how the kingdom of God was established in Jesus and it's how the kingdom advances in you. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. I want to ask us to stand and we're going to say this uh, prayer together as a congregation. So let's go ahead and stand. This is something that uh, probably a number of y'all recognize. You've grown up with it. Um, this is a little bit of a tweaked version. Um, let's say this uh, together corporately um, because this is we. This is an our community. Um, as a declaration for us, at whatever, whatever level you are, you may not even think all this is right and real. You may uh, be wondering, is all this gobbledygook about Jesus uh, true? Um, maybe you're there. Maybe you followed Jesus for a long time. Wherever you are in this, this kind of simple prayer can unlock the power of God to continue to do His work in you in ways that go far beyond what you and I understand as our needs. So let's say this together on screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Sorry, I'm going back into... And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You thought it was going to keep going, didn't you? Let's go ahead and continue that prayer together. Father in heaven, indeed we ask that your will be made known, that your will be done in us, as it was done in Your Son for the purposes of taking us to the cross on which we die so that You would be made known in life, that You would be made known as the life in us. Father, teach us. Lead us so that this side of heaven, so that this side of eternity, that our desires would increasingly match what you have for us. Conform us to your purposes, Lord. And forgive us for the ways in which we buck against that. We repent of saying no to your purposes for our life. And we ask that you would continue to soft hearts today to do your will. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.